Hello and a warm welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. My name is Dr Hannah Moyer, Senior Medical Writer and Moderator for EMJ. Today I am delighted to be bringing you a fascinating discussion as part of a two-part series on diabetic peripheral neuropathy, the forgotten complication of diabetes. This podcast has been funded by Viatris. Joining me for today's episode, I am honoured to be joined by two experts in the field of diabetes and neuropathy who will provide their expertise and personal experiences of working with those living with diabetic peripheral neuropathy. Both of our guests join us from Sheffield Teaching Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust located in the UK. Our first guest is Mr Oliver Binns-Hall, who works as a podiatrist at Sheffield Podiatry Services and also serves as a research associate at Sheffield Teaching Hospitals. Ollie specialises in wound healing and advanced diabetic assessment. His research investigates the early signs of neuropathy in patients with diabetes and explores the role of podiatry-led integrated care pathways. Ollie also works closely with our next guest. Professor Solomon Tesve, who is a consultant physician and endocrinologist and research director of diabetes and endocrinology, also at Sheffield Teaching Hospitals and the University of Sheffield. His research centres on diabetic neuropathy and neuropathic pain, focusing on its epidemiology, risk factors, pathogenesis, central nervous system involvement and treatment. In addition, he is a visiting professor at Shanghai Zhao Tong University and adjunct professor at Zhanghai Hospital Central Southern University in China. Professor Tezfei has an extensive academic profile with publications, grants and awards for his scientific contributions in diabetic neuropathy and his innovative patient-centred diabetes care. He has been chairman of the International Expert Group of Diabetic Neuropathy and has authored several consensus papers on the management of neuropathic pain. Thank you both for joining me for today's discussion with EMJ. In this second episode, we continue our discussion with a focus on diabetes and pain, the proactive identification of diabetic neuropathy. In the previous episode, we explored the complexities of diabetes and its impact and burden through diabetic peripheral neuropathy. In today's episode, we're going to take a closer look at the intricate relationship between diabetes and pain, focusing on the current approaches to identify diabetic neuropathy and explore the symptoms, risk factors and concurrent detection and management approaches. So Solomon, what's the current lay of the land in terms of when someone is diagnosed, how much do we explain to patients about neuropathic pain associated with the diabetes? What can other healthcare professionals sort of do in that communication? Again, a very important question is a lot of patients are distressed with the pain they get. It's a continuous pain. They get burning pains. And so we need to, to... get them to describe their pain to us. Is it electric shock type pain? Um, patients have unusual sensation in their feet. Um, they can get tingles, tingling, pins and needles, as if the feet are swollen when they're not swollen. The feet can feel extremely cold or extremely hot. Um, they have all sorts of sensations, as if walking on broken glass, walking on hot sand, walking on pebbles. pebbles. And 
they get all sorts of symptomatology. We need to understand, and it is a bilateral effect, both feet. It's a, it's a symmetrical disorder. And, and so we need to understand these descriptors of uh, the patients. Um, so we have to listen to the patients. And we have to have an empathic approach and understand that these patients are not just disabled in terms of pain, but the pain leads to loss of sleep. It leads to um, emotional problems, including anxiety and depression. So, and it also leads to a social isolation. They are unable to function normally. Um, they don't go and attend social occasions, for instance. So they become isolated and depressed. And so all these need to come out of the consultation. Um, and then we have to explain what the, so explanation is that you've got the nerve damage. Once they develop it, it's unlikely to go. And I think we need to be very, this is important. We shouldn't just give them a false sense of security. This is going to vanish. It's not going to vanish. Um, they can live with it, but there is something we can do about it. We need to give them hope. We need to uh, author authoritatively dismiss uh, unwarranted fears. So some of these patients think they're going to lose a leg. I actually tell them, you're not going to lose a leg as long as they have good foot pulses, as long as they protect their feet, they're going to be fine. And by the end of the consultation, if you do it right, you can see that they are, they, they leave the room feeling okay because they have seen somebody, it's an unseen problem. Family members don't appreciate what these patients are going through because they can't see an ulcer or and the, the patient's with painful neuropathy or something that's abnormal. And uh, people don't dismiss them or don't believe them. When you say actually you believe what they're going through, you understand. You can see them relaxing and leaving the room feeling more confident on how to manage their condition. And of course, um, once you've got the diagnosis of painful neuropathy, then you've got to start to think about treatment. Management of painful neuropathy shouldn't be isolated from the overall management of the diabetic patients. So the patients need to be, you know, they need to improve their blood glucose control, cardiovascular risk factors. But also the pain, with regard to the pain, you've got to tell them there are ways of sometimes, you know, uh, going, you know, swimming and, and, and having other activities can actually distract them from the pain or, uh, you know, music and things like that can, can relax them. So these are what we call non-pharmacological treatments. But then the mainstay is pharmacological treatments. So the where there are drugs that work for this condition, and, and uh, we can talk about that. But these are, there are four, you know, three classes of drugs, you know, the anticonvulsants and antidepressants, and, 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 and these are four drugs, amitriptyline, deloxetine, um, and, and pregabalin and gabapentin, these four lines of, uh, four drugs are the first line drugs that we start these patients. We need to tell the patients that drugs are not going to completely turn off the pain. Um, the best we can, um, we tell them is that if you can get 50% pain relief, you know, if you can get, that is what we look for. That would be a reasonable response. That doesn't mean we shouldn't go for, to completely stop the pain by, first-line drugs and combination treatment, which recently in the Option DM trial showed co combination treatment also works for these patients. Of course, looking, making sure that they don't have side effects, making sure that um, drugs are titrated appropriately. And so there are things that we can do for the patient. So this is the package of care that the healthcare professionals should 
start then immediately by assessing how bad the pain is. And if the pain, we score it from 0 to 10. 0 to 3 is mild pain. And I think if they are okay, we don't give them any treatment for this. You know, but, but moderate to severe pain, 4 and above out of 10. Um, average pain around 24-hour pain. And then these patients can benefit from having medications and treatment. And Ollie, I guess at this point they're referred to you um, in terms of this pathway. Could you give us your perspective of your role in the management and treatment of diabetic neuropathy? Yeah, sure. Um, we're quite lucky in Sheffield that we have Solomon and his team, you know, who've shared their knowledge on painful neuropathy and made the rep uh, referral process to his clinic very streamlined and easy to complete. We as podiatrists are very well placed to pick up patients that are developing painful neuropathy symptoms or where symptoms are, are getting a little bit worse because as podiatrists we're, we're seeing the patients extremely frequently and we can we can spot those you know early or like different changes in the patients you know and we're quite good at building that rapport with the regular treatment that and, and visits that they have with us you know we've become a regular referral source to, to Solomon's clinic over the last 10 years and we've actually started more recently to work with GPs to manage the more mild symptoms of these patients with painful neuropathy, which leaves Solomon and the, you know, the team at the Hallamshire to deal with patients with the, the worst symptoms who need his input the most. I think if I could add to that, um, we have an excellent podiatry service in Sheffield. Um, and, and this network of podiatrists in the community have a lot of dealing with the patients, the patients with peripheral neuropathy, Everybody who has a vulnerable foot, patient with peripheral neuropathy is referred for podiatry care in Sheffield. And they have, uh, they see them uh, on average about two months, maybe Oli can correct me, uh, two to three months, uh, they are seen regularly. And when these patients come to them, um, they also ask them if they have pain in their feet. And they are actually a big source of referral to the painful neuropathy clinic that... Uh, uh, that we run in um, the, in our hospital. So it's very important. This is I, I don't think this is the case in most uh, you know most centres in in the UK and and in most cities in the UK. So I think that we use uh, the, our podiatrists really. We work with them when we are thinking of new things. We involve our podiatrists. We have regular meetings with our podiatrists, and it's important that doctors and the old healthcare professionals are working together to improve the quality of life of patients with uh, diabetic neuropathy. And I guess, unfortunately, this isn't common practice across not just the UK, but globally, there's differences in practices. So what are the current limitations within the foot care system in terms of the patient journey? And especially when we consider the diagnosis or identifying these foot complications. Ollie, could I come to you first for this perspective? Yeah, sure. Um, again, it's it's difficult for me to kind of give much insight on the, the difficulties around it. I've got colleagues who work at different trusts who, you know, express that they can't get patients in. You know, GPs won't usually have to make the referrals for these things, whereas kind of, again, like at Sheffield, Solomon's made it very streamlined for us as podiatrists to be able to refer directly to him and his team for the painful neuropathy clinic. I don't think these pathways are set up all over the country and it's not as widely known about again we're quite lucky to have a specialist 
you know, con uh, consulting in painful neuropathy in Sheffield, but I don't think it's as much as a focus in a lot of the other trusts around the country. The awareness is, you know, becoming more and more, and more of these patients are popping up. But I think, you know, what we could probably looking at doing is, is sharing our pathways and our successes in Sheffield and replicating it across different trusts in the NHS in England. Yes, if I can add to that, I think the problem we have in primary care, because many patients when they are diagnosed, uh, in fact, almost all patients are diagnosed with diabetes in primary care. And primary care doctors are busy, they're dealing with asthma patients, with cancer, with all sorts of uh, problems. And um, all people with diabetes have to have nine health checks annually. Um, and this, we call them annual reviews, and they are um, they include foot screening, eye screening, and the foot screening also includes uh, neuropathy screening as part of it, an assessment of the um, uh, lower limb arterials, arterial system, blood supply also. Also renal screening, it includes EGFR uh, in renal function, but also albumin-creatinine ratio in the urine, also includes demographic variables, um, body mass index measurement, blood pressure is important, smoking review is important, and also cholesterol and the HbA1c. Uh, so these 9K processes and eye screening, these 9K processes, every patient should have once a year. And, and, and on average, there are six visits to achieve this in the UK. And not uh, surprisingly, only 40% of people with type 1 diabetes have all these 9K processes done within a year. And that's not, that's not uh, adequate. This is uh, clearly in a developed country such as uh, the UK, people should have these basic measures done properly. And this inevitably then leads to underdiagnosis of complications, late presentation. Um, advanced complications that are uh, devastating both to the patient, to the um, which is most important, and their relatives, but also to society as a whole, and in terms of expenditure to the NHS, and so this is the the, the situation. So it's not well organised. It's not fit for purpose. In eye screening program before in. 2005, when the uh, national program started, we used to fiddle with ophthalmoscopes trying to diagnose eye problems in patients uh, in a very busy cleaning, undilated people trying to look at and then refer to ophthalmologists. It, it, it was terrible. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm at fault because I'm, I'm not being properly trained and I was doing that. However, in 2005, everybody said the government introduced that every patient with diabetes should have an annual eye screening through dilated pupils uh, using retinal photography or digital, um, digital photography. And this change, it was a game changer. It led to a paradigm shift because it led to early referrals, early treatment. Of course, there are also new treatments for eye uh, problems, new injections that you have. And now only the UK around the world has uh, a situation where diabetes is not the commonest cause of working age blindness as of 2014. So it took 10 years. It led to a paradigm shift. In the UK, we need to change. We need to make these changes if we're going to have a, 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 an effective way of actually prevention of 
major other major diabetic complications. Even for renal, uh, we have good pathways for cardiovascular, good pathways for, for foot and neuropathy. We have terrible pathways. And we'll discuss this later, but um, uh, of how we can remedy this, but the situation currently is really terrible. And just to add to, to what Solomon said there about the, the key processes in diabetes, you know, when we go back and speak about uh, diabetic overload and the information overload that these patients are getting, the other burden on the patient is the amount of appointments that they're having to attend for so many different things, you know. We as a health service need to bring these appointments together and make it more accessible and easier for the patients as well. And again, just take that burden back off the patient a little bit and you know, give them less to focus on. Thanks both. So I guess as we conclude this discussion on diabetic neuropathy and painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy, could you perhaps give me your top highlights or insights that you think are vital for our listeners to understand from today's conversation? If I could come to Solomon first. I think three things I want to say uh, briefly. I, I mentioned them all, but I just want to highlight them is that diabetic foot problems, diabetic peripheral neuropathy is very common. It's not an uncommon conditions are very common prevalent. It affects one in two of all people with diabetes. We have four million people with diabetes in the UK, the ones we know of. Two million people have diabetic peripheral neuropathy. And, and we're failing these patients currently. It is common and it's insidious. It's a slowly and it doesn't give you any warning signs. Doesn't tell you I'm, I'm coming. It doesn't say, you know. And so it's up to us to diagnose them not for them to present to us and that's so and the early signs are being missed and leading to devastating complications but with appropriate care 80 percent of foot ulcers can be prevented they can and prevention one ounce of prevention is much bigger impact than a pound of cure and dolly what are your key insights uh, many of the complications with diabetes are slowed down or prevented by the management of a lot of similar things. Again, I think we need to bring this kind of healthcare together and bring different clinicians together to work towards a more common goal and be drilling on the same message to these patients to, to focus on the, the key aspects of what's going to slow the progression or prevent these symptoms of the diseases kind of progressing, you know, for patients to be active and encourage exercise, you know, that's going to help with everything that we've just mentioned. Uh, for any patients that smoke, that have diabetes, you know, we know that there's a significant increase in chance of tissue loss with patients that smoke. So any patients need to look at cutting down with a view to completely stopping. Uh, and for any patients listening, I'd just say to kind of get to know your feet as well by checking them regular. You know, you become more familiar with and the more familiar you are with your feet and, you know, you be it makes it easier to spot the, the changes and problems as they occur. Because as we've discussed, a large portion of these patients have undiagnosed sensory impairment. Thanks, Ollie. I'm taking from that. It's time to love our feet, not hate them and, and pay more attention to how they are. Thank you both for joining me for today's discussion with EMJ. As we conclude this conversation on diabetes and exploring those intricate complications, particularly diabetic peripheral neuropathy, I just want to take a moment to thank Mr. Ollie Bins Hall and Professor Solomon Tesvaid for sharing their experiences and insights with us around diabetes and pain through proactive identification of diabetic neuropathy. We've uncovered some insightful points of view and the significance of early detection and the challenges in managing this multifaceted condition. 
If you enjoyed this episode of the GEMJ podcast, this is the second of a four-part series on diabetic peripheral neuropathy, the forgotten complication of diabetes that can be accessed through your preferred podcast platform. These, alongside an informative infographic, can also be accessed by visiting emjreviews.com. In the next episode, we will discuss transforming the future of diabetic neuropathy through integrating patient care and screening. So I look forward to you joining us again. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now.